Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am your host, Jay Williams. And join- I'm going to have to start that over. You gulped right when I started. <laughs> That's, is that why you start? You like, well, had, like you had this moment of like, <gasps> you gulped, you gulped, and then I was like, I pressed like hey, everybody. you can hear it. Uh, well, yeah, not only can I hear it, but the sound waves are here. I was like, oh yeah, everybody can hear you that. You can mute me. Right? Yeah, well, it's too late. Now it's going to stay in. Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Williams. Joining me today is a very thirsty Jeff Clossy. Hey, good morning. Happy colorful Tuesday morning, Jay. Colorful Tuesday. Now that sounded like passive aggressive or like a backhanded compliment. Colorful no. Tuesday implies we all know because we all know that tomorrow all the leaves are going to be gone. <laughs> no, I was actually. 12 inches of snow are going to hit. Are they really? No. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I, I would thing. be shocked. I was doing the thing. Hey, we're going to pay for this weather. We're going to pay for this. Uh, it is unbelievable. <laughs> I went, uh, yesterday was my day off, and I got to take a bike ride. I hadn't done one for quite a while, and uh, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I had to keep stopping and pulling my phone out, taking a picture, yeah. and then keep riding. It is unbelievable right now. We had that. I, Judah and I drove to New York. We were gone over the weekend, and we drove to New York to go to the Baseball Hall of Fame. So driving through western New York with all the colors was really beautiful. And what's so funny was we found kindred spirits in Western New York because at this thing that we went to, uh, we went to um, like Judah, Judah and I, like the boys, we play like these tabletop sports games. And so the the creator of the baseball game that we love and, and we've become friends with hosted a special event at the Baseball Hall of Fame. So we got to play this nerdy tabletop baseball game with hall of fame players in the baseball hall of fame and which is for baseball nerds was pretty awesome but it's like multiple layers there. yeah so many layers and it was awesome but the guy a guy that was hosting it was from uh western new york and i was telling him how beautiful it was he goes uh it's not nearly as pretty as it usually is like we have we got so much rain this year that it's just brown and yellow like there's no vibrant reds or whatever and i thought oh you like you guys are just like us. You're just like the Midwesterners. Like, well, we were complaining about how the colors weren't awesome because of the drought that we had and, you know, or that the leaves fell off faster and they didn't get a chance to turn, you know, and they're complaining that it's not as beautiful as normal because of all the rain they had. And I thought, is there anyone happy this year with the fall colors? Well, Jay, human nature, right? <laughs> That's right. It's just, it just, well, it just felt, I felt like I was at home. Yeah. I thought, Oh, I know how. Yeah, even just right. looking out the window right now, I can see these really red ones. I, I think yeah. we did get duped. I think there were some trees that dropped early; it just felt early. But then it seems like it slowed down because now that I saw these red ones, I've yes. been observing in my yard. I mean, even if I did all the leaves today, I still have three quarters of them to yes. do because they're on the trees. I think you're right. I think we did get duped. I definitely think there were some trees that dropped early and barely changed at all, and and we thought, oh, that's going to be all of them, but. I think everything else is functioning the way it pretty much normally does. And it's just, it's amazing. It is amazing. So driving through Western New York, being able to see, you know, multiple times, just looking out and seeing like, wow. And then, um, and it's so interesting because there's a lot of red barns like there are here, but you see a lot more horses. So there's so many equestrian types. So you're just like Hmm. driving along and there'll be this river. It's just super scenic river with a red barn and all these horses out in the in the pasture and um, all the fall colors behind them. And I thought, yeah, this is beautiful. It's like how I feel driving through Wisconsin and you see all the um, red barns on the hillsides and the all the colors and then cows. I mean, Ooh. yeah, 
I mean, the, the horses are horses are maybe a little more majestic than the cows, but you know, cows are still awesome. They are. They're very important. They are very important. Speaking of important, your sermon this weekend was very important for all of us. I thought it was really great. See more transitions. I like that. Does smooth. it take away how smooth the transition is when you point out how smooth the transition is? Mm, that was for that was for Robbie. <laughs> Maybe. I'm literally reading Robbie's mind. If Robbie's listening to this podcast, he knows I just read his mind. And now we have to retransition. Now we Do have it. to retransition. But you mentioned how important this was, which I thought was quite bold of you to say, hey, the sermon I'm about to preach is really important. Um, that was that was uh, unlike you to to be so so bold and so like listen to me. I have lots of important things to say. <laughs> I'm just yeah, kidding. It, <laughs> but it definitely felt as I read it, yeah. I was like, the more I studied and the deeper I got into, you know, what's underneath it all. Yeah, I was like, I mean, yeah. you could have written this this week. Like someone could have written what James wrote like two thousand years ago this week. And you wouldn't have known the difference because he's right. getting at something that is so applicable right now. It always has been. I just think that we're we're in an age that it just to me feels like it's needed. And and do the, you feel like that's every age? Like so probably. I, I mean, just wonder. I mean, every era. I can't think of an an era where there wasn't this. I mean, this. Uh, I don't know. This important idea that wisdom. Like, what is wisdom? Where do you get wisdom from? What does it look like? Who do you listen to? Who do you allow to influence you? You, there's, I don't, I can't think of a generation that you would, that there weren't major issues like that going on. Now, today, there's uniqueness in each one. So there's something specific about our cultural context, but there's something really generic about the human experience, too. And I think whenever you see through scripture, and, and I thought you did a really great job of that, of connecting, um, like the context of what was going on there and seeing how to apply. And so that's a really good, just biblical principle of understanding the Bible is that there is a generic human condition that is exists all time. And so when the Bible talks about heart motives and talks about, um, you know, big picture, like nature, character of God, nature of man, all these different things, these, these are the things that are consistent all the way throughout. And that's where you feel like, am I reading, was this written yesterday? Because was somebody observing the world I live in to talk about this kind of worldly wisdom? And then the specifics of their situations are different. So when people say, well, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, how is it applicable today? Well, it, it is very much because it deals, the, the Bible specializes in those eternal things, in those root issues that are common among all people all time. The specifics of specifically what they're dealing with, like should they eat meat or should they not? Should they have, you know, should they have special seats up front for wealthy people? Should they not? Should they have braided hair? Should they not? Those are very specific cultural things that we need to extrapolate. Like we need to look and see, okay, what was the heart issue they're dealing with? And then how do we apply that to, to today? And I do think that's important to not get those confused and to realize because one is you could look at it and say, well, we don't, like, what do they have in common with us? And so you just dismiss scripture. The other is when you take some of those cultural applications and try to directly apply those culturally, cultural applications, you know, to, to today. So that's a little sidebar that I thought you, you bringing this up and saying, yeah, how, how fitting, um, 
that we are dealing specifically with this issue. And I thought you set that up really well. I mean, I think, yeah, I, what I, what I think it's so, I think it's God's mercy to me. <laughs> Do you ever wonder, Jay, like I, I sometimes feel very thankful that in my teenage years and in, in college years, I did, there wasn't social media that I could uh, get my words out to a lot of people because it's interesting, the foolish things I would have said. Oh yeah. I just didn't have the ability to do that. Like there just wasn't an option. And now there is like, I can get my words out to anyone in the world to hear just because I think they need to hear them for no other reason, you know, just, I want them to hear. And I think that's where it feels so urgent for the church, especially Yeah, because our words are out there and we have this ability with really like no effort to publish them. And in a lot of ways, that's really amazing and a gift. But in a lot of ways, it does, because of the quantity of information and the quantity of data, it does make it challenging, I think, to sort through, is this worthwhile? Right. Um, like either what I'm saying or am I, what am I reading right now? Is this actually true or is that true? And we do, we have to, we wrestle with that. And um, it's interesting how in, in a lot of ways, I think what James is calling us to is relationships, you know, like knowing the people that we rely on. And there's only so much of that we can do, you know, like in, in the end, we're going to have to rely on some information from people that we don't know. But in the church, I think that's where it's especially important that when we're talking about how we live this out in our communities here, we get the information about that from people who are here from each other, right? Because we're the only ones, the people that live here are the ones that God has called to live here and that he's working in, not someone on the other side of the country who has no idea about our context. So that's where I felt like, yeah, this feels so applicable. And and obviously the word always is. When we don't see the applications, it's because we haven't, you know, our eyes aren't open or our heart isn't open to what God is saying, but felt very urgent and important. Let's just say that. I th- I think so. I mean, what you just said there about how social media and how we have this ability to just get our words out anywhere, it also means there's just so much to try to wade through, which I think, um, which I think that shows in our way of like, we don't digest anything fully, right? We don't, um, we just, that's, we, we, we read headlines. We want sound bites. We don't actually take the time to digest things because there's just so much to get filtered through, right? So if you think about, um, you know, 150 years ago, a family might only have a few books. And so they would read, you'd read those same books over and over and over again, and you would digest them. And now we have, you can have thousands of books that you never read. And if you do read them, I feel this pressure. I feel like I got to work through this quickly because I've got a hundred other books on my list. And what that means is we don't, we don't fully digest. And then what that does then is it changes the writing style. So now the writing style is quick and bullet point. And, and, and so when that happens, we lose things like nuance and complexity. And so we don't give time for somebody to express and to kind of explain the complexities it's just like, okay, here's the, here's the takeaway. I just have to give you the takeaway because you're not going to read anything else. You're not going to listen to anything else. And so then it becomes this very black and white, oversimplified world. And I think that's where like wisdom 
that's why it's such a challenge to recognize and understand true wisdom because what we are trained in our culture to do is to look for emphatic black and white um, simple statements and we're drawn to that we're drawn to it because it's easy to digest it's easy to feel good about my position in that I don't have to spend time trying to understand complexities I don't want to understand complexities I just I just want the answer and so we give audience to the people who are willing to just give you the answer. And when you look at the Gospels, you realize that is the opposite of what Jesus does. Jesus hardly ever speaks simplistically. It's always, it's always complicated. It still always makes me laugh when you read that, when, when the disciples say to Jesus, why do you speak in parables? And he says, I speak in parables. So, because if I didn't, they would, they would understand. Like, it's like, you know, and that's even complex. Right. So it, it's layered. And so that all just leads to this cultural moment that we're in and how critical I think you did. A, you did a really good job, that critical um, nature of, man, we got to make sure that we recognize wisdom. And so first, I one thing that stuck out to me was just recognizing um, what is that? What is wisdom? What is wisdom? Like, what is, like we just don't even have a good definition, much like with faith. So the parallels were are awesome here in James, where he's like, "Look, you just you know I mentioned a couple weeks ago that just because you call something faith doesn't mean it's faith. Just because you say it's a thing doesn't mean it's that thing." And so James is saying faith is three dimensional. It's not just about knowledge that you have. And then he goes on to wisdom. And so the parallels between faith and wisdom, like what they have in common, is both that if they are only knowledge, they're not that thing. That it's accompanied by action mm-hmm. and here so i'm curious um yeah i'm curious like some of your thoughts behind that this is something that i drew from from what you said i thought man this is really ironic that the person who has uh, the person who is wise is the person who has knowledge and then lives in accordance with that knowledge and and i would argue correct knowledge right so you can be you could you could act in accordance with your knowledge but your knowledge could be wrong right Mm -hmm. so i could i could believe that um we should drive on the left side of the road and that everyone drives on the left side of the road and then i go and and i could drive down the wrong side of the road the the left side of the road here and get into an accident that's not wise so so for wisdom, and I and I thought you did a good job of this, of saying it doesn't mean we don't care about things like theology. Mm-hmm. It's not that there isn't stuff about truth. This is not some kind of relativism, but that's only a part of the story. Having the correct knowledge, so knowing that you're supposed to drive down the right side of the road, but then not driving down the right side of the road because you just think it's more, you just want to go down the left side of the road, that is also not wisdom. So you could have the correct knowledge but not live that out. And that's actually foolishness. So the other one is ignorance. Like if you just mistakenly thought that you're supposed to drive, that we drive on the left side of the road, and so then you act in accordance with that, um, that's that's not necessarily foolishness. That would be more like ignorance. You just, you are unaware. Um, but to know you're supposed to drive on the right side of the road and not do that, that's foolishness. And that is even worse than ignorance, like in scripture. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're that one in the Psalms, they talk about the fool. The fool, like 
isn't able to understand that, oh, this knowledge I have acts in accordance, like it should be lived out. And I just, man, I see that so often and I hate it. Like I see it in myself and I see it and I'm just like, this is foolish. You say you believe this, but you're not acting in accordance with that wisdom. So I don't know, like that might be just be a random, but that was one of the big thoughts that I had from early on in your message. Yeah, well, and I think... I avoided giving it a sentence definition because I do think you're you're highlighting like wisdom is complex and sometimes it is like as simple as I need to I need to live out what I know to be true. And then it gets even more nuanced though where it's like I need to live out what I know is true in accordance with God's love and character. Because we could live out what we know is true but maybe that's not the most loving thing in that moment. The timing of how we apply our knowledge matters as well. So how we interact with each other. So say we have, you know, an important conversation we need to have with somebody that might, it might make them upset. Wisdom is the thing that helps you to know when is the best time to do that. And you think about all the factors that go into that. So say the driving one, like, I think that's good that we understand we drive on the right side of the road. I think wisdom comes in, when the road conditions turn slippery for the first time this winter. Wisdom is the thing that says the speed limit's 55, but I'm going to go 45 around this curve because it might be, you know, whatever. So I, that's where I think it's really powerful and also can be fleeting for us. You know, you could have someone sitting next to you that says, don't worry about it. You've got four-wheel drive, fly around that corner. That might not be wise. That's not going to necessarily help you once you're in this corner. So there's all, we function every day according to wisdom and not just information. We're always sifting through how do I use this and what would it, what would the best use of it be? And I think especially when you read something like what James says, that there's a wisdom that comes from above and has this divine source. And then there's this like so-called alternate wisdom that is actually from the pit of hell. It's actually meant to destroy then I think that's when my ears at least like perk up and I'm thinking, okay, I need to know the difference between these because one, I don't want to inadvertently advance wisdom that is not from God. And I don't want the consequences that go with that for me and anyone in my life. And I want to be on the other end of it where I'm like helping people with the wisdom from God. So to me, when he, when he identifies the source of that, he really is upping the ante significantly about why it's so important. So, Man, you just said a lot of things there that are super, like, man, I want to go down so many different tangents. So here's one. You talked about how the wisdom, the earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom that James talks about is destructive by nature. That it's not it's not neutral. It's not just the absence of godly wisdom. It's actually destructive. And I think this illustrates, what that makes me think about when you're trying to illustrate this this idea that it's not just about having the right facts, but and and so often people will say, okay, but the most important thing is that you speak truth. We should do it in love. This is kind of a general tenor that I hear. Most people don't say like it doesn't matter if you speak it in love. Now there are some who do that. But I'm going to go ahead and say that's a fringe group that just say, you know, facts don't care about your feelings and they don't really care at all, you know, that kind of thing. But the more common thing that I see is, yeah, but truth is the most important thing. If I, but, and, and I should say it in love. I'm working on saying it in love. I'm working on 
you know, doing that in a godly way. But the most important thing is that I speak this truth. Let me just show you why that's not actually mm-hmm. the case. Mm-hmm. And why it's actually demonic and why the, the enemy is thrilled about that. You you shared that example of that apologist you yes. know, who came to your campus. My guess is that most of the students who are hearing that, it what he did was what the, what they did is like, oh, you're you're really smart, you have all that, but I don't want what you have. Yep. And so you actually end up making some you you push someone further away from the gospel by by communicating, ironically, by communicating truth and doing it in an unloving, ungracious way because it poisons the well. You now have taken the thing. So I can't tell you how many times I have shared the gospel with somebody and their their obstacle to hearing it is how they've been wounded by unloving people who said the same things I'm saying. And they cannot receive it in any other way than what they had received it in, which is really harsh and horrible and 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 evil and demonic. And so when you say, and I think we've all had that experience where you listen to somebody or you hear a news report or you watch an interview with somebody and you just are like, man, I do not like that person. Like I, they are, I, whatever they're holding to, like, I just don't, I don't want to be with them in it. It actually poisons. And then you have situations like what Peter said, it would have been better if you hadn't even heard than to have heard and turned back. There's something about how your, our actions and the way that we share something actually poisons the well of truth. And now the enemy uses that to pervert it, to now twist it so that now it, it actually, in your sharing in an unloving way, makes that person less likely to receive it. It hardens them to it. And I just, like, if we don't grasp that, I mean, if we did grasp that, then we would understand that it's actually flipped. The most important thing for me right now is to exhibit what I'm actually like the the heart of what I'm communicating to exhibit kindness to exhibit love the love of Christ that's the most important thing you lead with that and then like I would rather somebody say like man I in fact I have heard this said many times and I think Jesus would echo this I've had people say man I don't know I don't know how to confront this situation in my in my kids or in my with my neighbor or my like right now I'm just focusing on loving them well and, and, and I'm hoping that I'm like getting better at, at maybe taking advantage of some opportunities to share like a different side, you know, different point of view or to share, like to try to share the gospel that I would much rather have, right? Like that is a much, that is unequivocally better than to flip that around and say like, oh, I've shared the gospel a lot with them. Like I'm working on being nicer. Like I know sometimes I come off kind of condescending and judgmental and like I have all the answers. And so I, I'm working on that. Like that person, I would say, don't say any more. Yeah, and stop speaking. <laughs> your your examples it draws out what James is saying because it, that person that, that said I'm working on loving them well started off by saying I don't know, which is an expression of humility and meekness. That we do not ever have the God like we don't have a God's view perspective where we know the heart and all the circumstances. And as much as we have grown in Christ, we know because of his work in us, we have a long way to go. And not in a discouraging way, in a hopeful way. He's not done with us yet. Right. And that's really good news. But 
the moment we shift from that to like, I have arrived and this other person has not, and they need what I have, that's when we shift from humility and meekness as a recipient of grace to like someone who's kind of a dispenser of grace, like, a, like God. Yeah. And he's the only one that has that. And I think it changes the way we interact with people because we can't listen. The person who just wants to dispense, they, they don't listen. Right. There's nothing the other person could say to them that they feel is valuable or that would help them at all that day. So they are just literally a megaphone and you are just, you need to receive it. And the bummer is for a, for a you know, discerning person, like say it's an evangelistic situation, a discerning person will think to themselves, I hear what this person is saying. They obviously don't believe it because the way they're living is so contrary to what they're saying. They obviously don't even believe what they yeah. say they believe or they, it hasn't registered yet that their life is out of balance. It's not aligned with the, the message they're proclaiming. And that to me is, is so sad. And that's an evangelistic situation, but most of our interactions with people, they happen in these mundane moments that that are quick you know in the in the register like checkout line out to eat driving filling up with gas and that's where that's where our wisdom from above matters too even when you're not having a long conversation with someone we can still exhibit the fruit of the spirit and and i didn't have time to go into this but it's interesting if you compare james's list of seven characteristics to Paul's and Galatians, they're actually very mm-hmm. similar. Mm-hmm. And so James and Paul, James uses the word wisdom from above, and Paul's using fruit of the Spirit, and that's the same. They're talking about the same thing, the same source of these character traits and qualities. But anyways, I just wanted to highlight, like, yeah, starting off a situation with I don't know, and even if it's I don't know fully or that I'm blind to some things that I'm not, I don't realize, that changes the dynamic in our own hearts so quickly and that doesn't mean that we don't go in like with confidence because we are confident that God does know. We're confident that he knows exactly what needs to happen, even when we don't necessarily. I think it just changes the way we are with it, people. It does. And, and all that comes back to the idea of like, what's the beginning of wisdom? It's the fear of the Lord. Yes. So the very root, like step one in this is I'm not God. And once we take upon ourselves the position of God that we think we fully understand, that we think we understand everybody's motives or why they think that, why it's wrong. And and then it's not just about one thing. Like you said, we can go on the internet and I always cringe when somebody says, well, just do the research. And I'm thinking, how in the world do you, like, I can find whatever you want, whatever, whatever fringe idea you think is out there, I can find you 10 articles that if you just read those and that's all you read, you're going to end up with that conclusion. And so the beginning of wisdom is not research. The beginning of wisdom is the understanding that I am finite mm-hmm. and that God is the holder and the dispenser of all wisdom. And that true wisdom is wisdom from above, which means seeing things more and more the way he sees them, like with God's eyes, which is sanctification, which happens through abiding in Christ. So the more I abide in Christ and and walk with him in humility, seeking the wisdom from above, then then that that shapes me and that forms me. But it all starts there is is that that idea of I'm not I don't have all of these answers. I don't know how all of this should work. And it is really amazing if you think about just day to day, how often we function as though we are omniscient. Mm-hmm. 
how often we function. I mean, if you've ever walked into a business and thought, well, this is silly that they do it this way. Like they should do it this other way. Why don't they just do it this other way? Then you're guilty of this, which means me. Like I've totally gone into like a coffee shop or whatever and been like, why do you have all those people back there? Like you should, you should do it this way. And the thing is, I could be right. I could be wrong because one thing's for sure. I'm not omniscient. Neither are they, but they probably know better than I do about, you know, whatever their staffing issues are or who has what abilities or how things should flow. Um, so that, that humility is, is important. You also said something, um, there about timing, which I thought was, there's another offshoot of this, that not only do I have to acknowledge that God is God and I am not, but then there's also an act of dying to myself. And immediately when you said the wisdom would be knowing when and how to bring this up, well, that requires actually denying, like dying to yourself and denying your own flesh. Because I think all of us are guilty of like we want things to be dealt with in our timing, right? Like I I I can't hold on to this. And rather than understanding, well, wisdom would be this isn't the time to bring this up. Like I need to bring this up later, which means I'm deferring quote unquote justice because it's in God's hands anyway. Um and I just think like that's so much of the motive, and we'll get into this next week, but so much of the motives that we have just come down to like, we think we're God. We think that we should be, we should be vindicated right away. We should get the credit that we want. We, we, we want people to know that we had this great idea that we have wisdom. We want them to hear us now. It's why we're not slow to speak. All those different things that Jesus commands us to do all require humility and dying to ourselves because our flesh wants all the opposite things. Our flesh wants to speak first. I, our flesh doesn't have time to listen to people and hear wh- how they got to this point of view and what might be behind it. Our flesh just wants you, like the important thing is that you understand that I'm right and that you end up agreeing with me. That's the, that's the important, that's what our flesh wants. Our flesh wants things dealt with quickly. Our flesh wants an apology from someone that is satisfying. Like, it's just amazing to me how often people will go and apologize to someone and then the person is offended that they didn't apologize properly. And I'm like, good heavens. Like at what point do you realize like this is not, you're looking for things that aren't possible. Like they're not there. And all of that is foolishness. It's not, it's not wisdom because wisdom from above is that kind of humility is marked by that humility. Yeah. It's interesting that in a lot of ways it's being okay with being a creature, you know, Mm, like we're limited and Sadly, not only do people around us suffer when we kind of like posture like we have all knowledge, you know, that we can see the future and we know why things are happening, or we also do that with omnipotence, like we have all power and we we should be able to fix whatever. Not only do people around us suffer from when we do that and we kind of exert that because it's not real, but we ourselves do. I mean, you think about, just think about fears and anxieties that you have and how many of them would go away if we stopped acting like we should have known and we should have been able to control and you know, we should know the future. Like God hasn't made us to do that. Sadly, right? We wish we could, but we can't because we're a creature. And so we not only hurt people externally, but I do think that a lot of our, our own issues inside of us come from the assumption that I'm not a humble creature. I'm not a sheep. I'm the shepherd and I should be able to handle this. And, 
There's just a lot we cannot handle. That's why we follow him and we trust him. He handles them. Um, but yeah, that, that, this wisdom from above, I guess that that's something it reflects too, that I also didn't have time for, but it does affect us internally, even if it doesn't come out in in the world around us, it will leak out, you know, in our actions, but there's a lot of things that are just happening inside of us all the time. And I do believe those two kinds of wisdoms, they, they can reside in us even when they're not expressed all the time. Yeah, so let me ask this question. It's kind of a more practical question. It touches on a few other things that you brought up that I thought were really, really great and really helpful. So what do you do? How should we then live this out when we are constantly um, barraged around us by spreading of all kinds of weird, you know, misinformation, twisted you know, statements about things. These, like we said, sound bites. The funny thing is, is we, we want sound bites and article titles that agree with us. But then when it comes to the other side, we like criticize them for not reading things like just, why don't you just think this through and just read this whole thing. And you would see how ridiculous this is. And, but yeah, we don't do that. You know? And I think, so we may know, like, what do you say to the person that says like, okay, listen, I know I don't have all the answers, but I know that this thing that's being espoused around me and this thing that is being like kind of um, pushed is is false. Like it's not truth. There are a lot of things in our culture that are things that we look at and we say, man, that's that's destructive. That is not God's truth and it's destructive. And I think our inclination is to feel like, well, I got to I got to fight. Like I got to fight fire with fire. And so you mentioned again, that going back to that illustration of the apologist, um, a feeling like I need to show how ridiculous this point of view is. And in doing so, that's, he ends up being very unchristlike and, and then boasts like, and essentially boasts a false gospel, even he may be articulating facts that are true, but he's doing it in a way that is false. And he's, like I said, he's poisoning the well. So what does a person do with that, that feeling of like, well, I feel like I need to respond to that post, or I need to tell them that that's not the, the way that it's supposed to be, or I need to make sure that I communicate this, like these facts and this truth. And so I, if I don't, like, for example, if I act with humility and I'm slow to speak, then it's going to look like the other person won that argument. Like, it looks like I don't have an answer. Uh, you know, someone one time when I didn't, when I was not quick to speak, they took that as the kill shot of like, see, you don't have a response to that. Yep. And and I'm sitting there thinking, well, I, I have a lot of responses to that. I'm just trying to calculate the the wisdom of, is that actually, is the issue that you're bringing up actually the issue? And do I, is that really helpful to go down this rabbit trail um, about whatever this issue is? So what do you do in that situation where you're saying like, I want to do this, but I, how do I do that in a world that is so rapid fire, so many posts, like how do we not like fight fire with fire? How do we not stoop to the, to that level or whatever? Like, what do we do? Well, part of it I think is slow down, you know, like, the rapid fire nature of communication is not usually helpful unless we're in an emergency situation. You know, there's a building on fire. We need to get the word out fast. Um, usually, and other exceptions, I don't want, there's not a rule, but usually if we wait before we send a message, 
um, the outcome will be better than if we just kind of go off of our gut. And that might be really too obvious, but I'll just give you an illustration of, um, you, people probably know by now listening to this podcast that I like Dallas Willard. His writings have been very helpful to me, his, his faith in Jesus. And there's a story that John Ortberg told about Dallas. He was a philosophy professor at uh, USC, so big university in California. And apparently he was having an exchange with a student, like an undergrad student, as he was the professor of the class. And the student was trying to undermine something that he had said. And uh, the student got his last point in, and, and Dallas saw what time it was, and he said, okay, well, class is over. We'll pick this up another time. And afterwards, people were pretty upset that he did not settle the score. And his response was like to get one more comment, right, to clarify, because he could have. But he said, you know, I'm practicing the discipline of not getting the last word. And I, I, I just want to say that story because I'd never heard anyone say that before. And I think that's really profound. If you think about practicing the spiritual discipline of not getting the last word, what you have to replace that with. So if you're not going to get the last word, what do you do with the energy that you were going to expend making your point? Well, one, you, you begin praying for the person. And maybe at first your prayers are a little like spiteful. But as you, as you connect with God, he can actually change your heart so that your prayers become more life-giving for that person and blessing and bringing goodness. And you have to trust that he is sovereign and that he can take care of this person. It's not your job. Again, I think this is a way of being a creature and not acting like we're the creator. I also think that, to be honest, like if we believe that what the Bible says is true, like if we just, just read the first three chapters of Genesis— then we would expect to be surrounded all the time by ideas and philosophies that are contrary to God's ways. That is just needs to be our expectation rather than our shock. So we are always going to be in this world surrounded by things that aren't true. That's just part of the way the world is right now. I think just knowing that should help us to know we don't need to freak out. We don't need to panic. We can keep trusting him as God's people have for centuries, right? And for millennia. And I I do think that's part of it. We just feel like this intense pressure and I get it. A lot of times that it's coming from a place of wanting to help. But honestly, like our rapid fire exchanges, they rarely help. In fact, they make it worse because we don't do, it's really hard to love in a hurry. Like you just, how do you do that? Love takes time and it takes relationship and connection. That's the other thing right now. It is very easy to interact with people that we don't know and will never know. Like we do this online, right? And that's just a risk. I think if we don't know the person, they're not in our life, it's it might not be worth it. You know, like it, it might not be worth the energy because there are going to be people around you who you could spend time with relationally, you know, and expending energy that way. Which you, you point that up, um, pointing that out of, of like you don't know and like even with Dallas Willard now you're relying on the testimony yeah. of other people and yes so that's a little more valuable like we should care what is this person's character or nature like and what do people consistently say and and when I look back and um w- when we see people who have kind of fallen you know and and like 
when you think when you look back like people were giving the testimony about it it's just we didn't care you know like as a culture we don't care um because at the time we're getting what we want they're saying because we we want to identify with the person who has the mic drop moment or who can win the argument because my guess is there were probably people at that campus ministry event who were thrilled that he mm-hmm. mocked and belittled and everything they felt vindicated by that and they wanted to identify um with that i think that idea of but slowing down and um being being mindful of that, that i love that when you said that the last word illustration like be mindful of people who every time they share a story they are the hero of that story mm-hmm. and they delivered the knockout punch when I look back on the apologists who have st- stood the test of time and the ones who haven't, one of the things I'm struck at um, or struck by is the ones who haven't. Their stories are always they they are the hero. They delivered the knockout punch. They had the they had the thing that was unanswerable. And we don't know, you know, the accounts of the gospel. The the gospel writers they they write what they write about these accounts. But one thing's for sure, Jesus, even even if he did have the last word, you never get the feeling that it was delivered with some kind of smugness or gotcha. It's always grief. Like, even if there's emotion in it, there's grief. It's like, you know, when he says to the Pharisees, like, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you'll have eternal life, but you don't realize, like, they're pointing to me. Like, that's, and like, I'm right in front of you and you don't see me. That wasn't like some kind of twist, like smug little mic drop moment. That is a grief of like you're missing it. And and I don't want you to miss it. And that's a very different, um, a, a very different kind of posture. But you also um, so with that, I think I think you're, you're the the idea of slowing down the discipline of not needing to have the last word that connects to another story you shared that I thought was awesome where that campus ministry leader said, I I don't think I need to have an opinion on that. And I so related to you. I remember as a young, like when I was younger um, in ministry and looking to those older people to like, you perfectly captured like my motivations many times when I've gone to them. Cause like, I want you to side with me so that I'm right. Mm -hmm. And I just think about how many times Jesus, that people tried to get Jesus to give the soundbite that would vindicate them. And he just, he didn't like imagine Jesus walking through like on earth. Jesus didn't even have opinions on everything. He had knowledge about everything and wisdom. Like he knew it wasn't even an opinion. He knew. And yet he rarely shares like the percentage of things he actually shares on is so small, even when people are quibbling. And when people are quibbling over little things, he often redirects it. And says, like, the fact that you're fighting over this is the problem. Like, he, he could he could give the ultimate mic drop all the time if he wanted to. But that's not his motivation. So I think that in that, you know, the idea of slowing down, um, the idea of not needing to get in the last word, because that all connects to the aim in all of these situations should not be to get to fix someone's faulty thinking. 
Because when we get into that kind of mode, we are definitely in God territory. Because only God can change hearts and minds. What we want is we want to offer, like it is very good. I think there's some practical things we can do. um, Like when it is time to speak, we can with humility share a different point of view. We can um, be winsome in how we communicate that so that we're not so we're not putting up obstacles that don't need to be there. Like I've said before, the gospel has the potential to be offensive in and of itself. You don't need to be a jerk on top of it. Like that's a, that's a whole, like we add obstacles to this. Like if someone's going to already have a hard time with what you're sharing, then um, don't add other unnecessary obstacles to seeing that or understanding that much better to like, smooth that path to it. So at least, at least you're kind of ushering them to that and letting them see clearly. Um, but often we, we face these things as though like we feel like our job is to fix it, which actually communicates something that we, a faulty belief about God. Because if we really think about it, I think a lot of times we feel like we've got to say something, we've got to do something. Well, what does that communicate? That communicates that we think God's kind of asleep at the wheel. Like God, like if you're not going to do something about this, then I am, which anyone who's married and has kids has probably had those moments with their spouse where you're like listening to something, watching something be like, listen, if you're not going to, if you're not going to address that, like I will jump in and address it. Um, or at work or wherever where you feel like if you, you know, are you not doing something? We got to know that God is always very, he's very mindful and very aware and people spreading misinformation is nothing new. This has been going on since the garden and that our response, um, it really means believing that Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, when he's basically saying over and over and over again, this is how the world functions. They're always going to, the world's always going to function this way. Not so with you. You don't function the way the world functions. And at times that's going to look like you lose. You're going to like, at times they will hate you. They will not understand you. They will persecute you. They will think you're foolish. They will think all these things. That's just a reality. But you continue, continue to man your post. Continue to walk this path. Continue to follow me and abide in me. And one day I will make all these things right. And the question is just, do we believe him? If we do, then we will love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We will be able to, I mean, that's such a powerful example of Dallas Willard. I do not know too many people who would have the power and the right and the position to be able to have the last word and not even in a combative way and yet not to not do that. Yeah. That's an incredible humility and trust in in what God is doing. It strikes me too that, you know, the the cross was the moment that looked like to everyone watching the moment of the greatest defeat, the greatest point of weakness, the greatest failure, right, of this Messiah, Jesus. And actually what was going on was the greatest victory. And I do think that if we can, you know, the more our heart is being shaped in that cruciform pattern, that, that to die is to gain, to lay down your life, you know, is, is the way of life. I think that... <laughs> It's too obvious to us, I think. In some ways, we get numb to it because we know it, those who've been in the church for a while. But he shows us how to do this. 
in his his life obviously the way jesus interacted and lived but then really when he went to the cross it's the ultimate display you know did he have the last word in that moment <laughs> it looks like they won right it looks like his opponents yeah. are like they're they're the ones that have power over him but he knows he's trusting in his father and he knows what he's going to do um to me that is our model it's the model for all of our life all of our thinking and our and our heart is that cruciform pattern and look at Peter in the garden. You know, what a great example of like, Jesus, if we don't fight for you, they're going to take you and they're going to kill you. Yes. And he was right. Like what they were afraid of could happen is exactly what happened, which is so interesting. And that's why I often, and one thing that I've consistently tried to say to myself and to others, um, for example, when you look at the culture, and people start to panic about what's going on in the culture and the direction it's going and, you know, whatever being is being taught or believed or whatever. People, I'll, I'll often ask myself and others, what are you afraid of? And usually somebody will say, well, if this happens, then this will happen. And then, you know, um, I remember, you know, years ago that was like prayer in schools. Like, well, you know, they're trying to ban prayer in schools. And like, well, but w- what is actually going on? And, and what if that does happen? What are you afraid of? Well, I'm afraid then, you know, God won't be there. Okay. Do you really think that they can kick God out of the schools? Is that even a thing? Does that even like that? Like getting at what is it? What are you really afraid of? So what if that happens? What if that does happen? Um, You know, I've gone in, a lot of us have the experience of going in for medical testing and going like, okay, but what if, so like, what if that happens? What am I afraid of? And then realizing that even what I'm afraid of is absolutely dwarfed by the the greatness of God and his kindness and his mercy. It just overwhelms it. And so just acknowledging like, okay, well, what if that does happen? What are you, what are you actually afraid of? And then, okay. So if Peter could have really articulated that to Jesus and said, um, you know, Jesus saying like, well, what are you afraid of, Peter? And Peter would say, well, I'm afraid you're going to get arrested and they're going to kill you. And imagine Jesus saying to him, okay, and what if that happens? Well, then everything that you've done, like, is lost. Is it? You know, we we just can't imagine. So if, if it's true in the garden where Peter is 100% right, his fears are all justified. That is exactly what is going to happen. And yet it paves the way for the greatest victory the world has ever known. How much more in our little day-to-day debates and conversations, how much more should we be confident in that? That, well, if I don't answer them back, if I don't respond to that, then they're going to think that they won. Okay. What if, Well, then they're going to get other people to think that they won. And then that means, you know, people are going to vote this way and that's going to, okay. And what if that happens? Is God no longer sovereign? Does God not have any control over that? The most important thing always for Christians is to be faithful in the moment to God. Faithful in the moment. It is not to try to help God you know, make the culture more Christ-like. It's not to try to like 
make, you know, be God's PR man by twisting truth and by softening things that he says. It's not like God does not need our help in any of those things. What he, what he needs from us and not doesn't need us as if we served by them, but what he desires for us is that we would simply moment by moment trust him. And sometimes that means trusting him to say something that will maybe upset somebody else, but we do it from a heart of humility and compassion and they may not like it. So it may, it, it, it may take courage in that sense or the courage that's required and the faith that's required may be to stay silent um, and to not say anything and trust that God will, God will make that right. And he will give the, you know, in, in the moment and in, in the due time, he will make things right. I just think that that, and ultimately that comes back to that being wisdom and wisdom that comes from that place of knowing I, I am God's faithful servant. I'm the benef- I'm the beneficiary. He's the benefactor. If he tells me to stay quiet, I'm staying quiet. If he tells me to speak, I'm going to speak. If he tells me to think more about this and try to figure out a solution to this, then I will do that to the best of my ability. If he tells me to let it go and not not worry about that, I'm not. You know, and the only way you get that is abiding in him day by day. Like you said, it's not going to happen just in the big moments. Where we grow in that is in the small moments, at the grocery store, in the little moments with our kids, the first few moments after we wake up in the morning. Like these little moments of just trusting God and saying, this is what faithfulness looks like. And, and doing that is so much more important than most of the things that we think are a really big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred percent agree. It's a, it's a walk of faith and trust and daily dependence. And I really, I, I said this in the sermon, but I want to just say it again. You know, it starts with asking him to help you do that. And all of us are in a position where we can ask him no matter how much we've grown or no matter where we've been, we all need help. And then we look for the ways that he provides. And, and I think, you know, if you, if you heard that sermon, really any of these three weeks, Jay, Jay's going to continue on with this thought from James, this section, but you might feel like, man, I have this, this way in my heart that I've just been struggling with for a long time and I cannot seem to shake it. It just dominates me and then it comes out in my actions in ways that really hurt other people. We would love to walk with you in that. A lot of the time it really requires another person for you to reveal that to another person and then they can walk with you and help you figure out what is the next step with God? Who is God in the middle of this and, and how does that change your future? Because it does. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He is faithful to do it, and he wants it more than we want it. He wants it. So we can be confident of that as we walk in this. So I do hope you know, what people left with and this week have in their mind is that we have every reason to hope and every reason to be the most thankful people in the world that he has, by his grace, invited us into this walk of wisdom that we could have never come up with on our own. We're recipients of it every day. It's amazing. It really is, and, and that's... I think that last piece that you mentioned about kingdom, like about us as, as being kingdom people and functioning in a different way, we're seeing fruit of that in our, in our community where um, the cumulative effect of like, say in our schools, for example, the cumulative effect of faithful teachers who just have consistently loved you know, loved students, loved their coworkers, 
um, consistently day by day being faithful has a cumulative effect where not only are they seen as, as people who have wisdom, like a unique wisdom compared to the culture's wisdom, but our church family gets that reputation of we are a, a people of this wisdom from above that is um, open to reason and is um, is meek and humble and servant-hearted. And, and so we get to benefit from one another in that, that we get to be a people. And so it's both really amazing that we get to we get the benefits of what other people are doing in that, but also the weight of responsibility um, that it, it's both, it's, it's exciting because it means that your interaction at the grocery store matters because it's, it's a building block. It's a piece. Um, it's painting this picture and you may be responsible for just coloring this very small little piece of this corner. And you may think like, well, you know, what's the big deal about that? Well, when you zoom out, the, the picture is more vibrant and, and it's really incredible. And so I just, I don't know. I, that's a rambly way of saying like when you kind of, it was early in the sermon, cast that vision for us being, um, a, a people who exhibit this wisdom that's from above. That's a really powerful testimony. It's glorifying to God and it is so freeing and so joyful to be a part of that mm-hmm. community, um, that functions in that way. So we want to do that together. These are not like these are not individual charges for individual people. We would continue to harp on this idea that it is Christianity is a team sport. We are in this together. We actually impact and affect one another far more than we realize, and we are meant um, to be connected in the family. So, so let us know. Like if you don't have that, um, then we want you to experience that, uh, and you just just let us know. Email us at connect at faithpeshtigo.com. Talk to us on a Sunday. Um, and we just, so we want to be able to walk with you through that. All right. Well, I thought it was a great sermon. A lot of stuff to talk about. More we could talk about. Uh, we hope that this has been helpful to you uh, as you abide in our Jesus. Until next time, grace and peace. Grace and peace.